So we are beginning a, a journey. It's going to be a long journey. The longest book that I have covered on Sundays was Ephesians, and it was six chapters. And so we are uh, going to, we're going to break that record. John has 21 chapters, and so we're going to spread out the book of John over an extended period of time. Don't know quite how long it's going to take, but we're going to go through John, and we're going to study the gospel of John. And I've wanted to study a gospel here on Sundays with you guys for quite a while, and I've been kind of waiting on the right time, and I believe that now is the right time. And we're calling the series The Eternal Word, The Eternal Word. And I've titled the message this morning, No Ordinary Name, No Ordinary Name. And so I want to open in prayer, ask that God would help you to receive and help me to preach. And God, we we come before you this morning and we do thank you, God, for the privilege of opening your word and starting this journey in the gospel of John. And Lord, I pray that wherever this journey takes us as we go through this gospel, Lord, we know that you're going to speak to our hearts and we're going to see Christ. We're going to glorify him and we're going to see his life and, and grow to become more like him. And I pray that you would help your people here this morning to, to receive and to grow and to become like Christ each and every day and as they hear your word taught. And God, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what is in a name? What is in a name? If I say certain names, it'll bring memories to you. If I say a certain name of someone, it could bring a, bring a good memory to you or it could be a bad memory. There's certain names that I could say in, in your life that wouldn't mean anything to me, but would mean a great deal to you. You would hear that name and it would trigger thoughts and memories, good or bad. Or what about, what about certain names that you may know? You may know certain people that are influential, that can open doors. You guys ever used that opportunity? You knew somebody that was influential. They had an important name somewhere in an organization. And, and because you knew that name, then you got the influence that you were looking for. What about certain names throughout history? Famous last names. What about the Rockefeller name? The Walton name? The Kathy name? Who, who, who knows what the Kathy name represents? Chicken. Christian Chicken, the Rockefellers, the Waltons. Waltons represent Walmart, Sam's Club, the DuPont family. What about Goldman, the Goldman family? These are names. When I say those names, what do you think of when I say those names other than Chick-fil-A and Walmart and Sam's? What, what do you think of? Money. You think of wealth. You think of influence. You think of power. What is, what is in a name? And today we are going to look at a name that is far greater than the Rockefellers and the Waltons and the Cathys and the, the DuPonts and the, and the Goldmans. We're going to look at, we're going to be in a journey of looking at no ordinary name. Not just a name that you can say in passing and not have any other thoughts about that name. But it's a name, the name that is above every other name. We are going to begin a journey of studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the fame of his name far exceeds any other name in human history. It's the name of Jesus. You say his name here and no one flinches. No one thinks anything different. Because we're in church. But you say the name of Jesus in other contexts. And people, people perk up. They listen. 
Depending on how you say it, people perk up and they listen. Because the name of Jesus is, the, is, is no ordinary name. It's unlike any other name in human history. And, and here's, here's what I would say as we're about to jump into this journey of studying the Gospel of John. What better study for us to study right now? What better book to go through? What better subject to cover than Jesus? And of course you could say, well, Pastor Ben, you could talk about Jesus with anything that you preach. And, and, and that is true. We always want to be gospel focused and centered on Christ. But what better time in our history right now, 2022, what we've walked through over the last two years. I can't think of any other book, any other subject that I want to look at than a gospel. I want to look at a gospel. I want to look at the life of Jesus Christ. I want to study who he is, who he claimed to be, what he did, what he accomplished. I want to see his compassion. I want to see his mercy. I want to see his love. I want to look at his judgment. I want to look at how he interacted with people. I want to hear the truth of the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to look at. I want to, I want to be enraptured with not just the name of Christ, but the person of Christ. I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? You want to know him. You want to be in relationship with him. Do you want to grow? Do you want to become like him? The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus in us and through us. So I want us to, in this next journey we're going to go on for the foreseeable future. That's the lens I want us to look at. I want us to worship him greater because we know him more. We know him deeper. We know his heart because we study his words. We study his life. Jesus is at the center of all that we are as believers and as a church. That should be a true statement that Jesus is at the center of all that we are. Is he the center of all that you are? He should be the center of all that we are. If we name him as our Lord and Savior, he should be the center of all that we are. And he should always be the center of all that we are and all that we do as a church, as Living Word Church. You know, each gospel account has a, has a different focus. You know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have a primary focus because they were different men who wrote different eyewitness accounts of the life and the times of Jesus Christ. And, and so they have a different lens with which, a different focus with which the Holy Spirit used them to reveal Christ to us. If you study the Gospel of Matthew, one of the primary purposes of the Gospel of Matthew is to reveal Jesus as the Messiah King. Why do you think Matthew starts with a genealogy? And that genealogy culminates with who? David. Culminates with David and then Christ. And so we see that the, the prophesied Messiah was to come through the line of David. And the Gospel of Matthew starts with showing that Christ comes through the line of David. Jesus is the Messiah King. And then Mark. Mark is, one of the, is the shortest gospel. The word immediately is used. I, don't, I forget the number off the top of my head, but over and over again, Mark says, immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. It's the shortest book. He was to the point. But what was his point? His point was to reveal Jesus, not only as the Son of God, but the Son of Man. You see the suffering of Christ in great detail in the Gospel of Mark. And then you have Luke, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. <laughs> he was a doctor, and he wrote... Of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. 
And he declares that Jesus was the prophet that came to rescue the lost. What are some great stories in the gospel of Luke? The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And here we have John. John has one point. He has one emphasis. He has one thing that he is here to emphasize. And he wants you to know. He wants us to know as we study his account. He wants us to know that Jesus is the eternal God. No, no mincing words, no sugarcoating it, no, no, no trying to come in sideways. You know how sometimes people talk about Jesus and they want to kind of come in sideways around it. And then eventually they come to it and say, you know, by the way, Jesus is, is God. He's God. He's eternal. He's God. No, John comes right at the beginning and we're going to see the very beginning of his letter, his account, his gospel account. He wants to tell us that Jesus is the son of God. You know, in John, there are written accounts of seven I am declarations of John, of Jesus. Jesus declared, and he used the term that would be used of God, that he is the I am, he is the beginning and the end. He is the great I am is who God is. And Jesus declared seven times that he was I am. That's in John. John also centers around eight signs, or you call eight proofs, eight major miracles that you see in the gospel of John. And throughout the whole book, we're going to kind of see those miracles as they unfold. What was the first miracle that took place that that John talks about? Somebody beside Pastor Dom. You can shout me down. What was the first miracle? Water into wine. Jesus turned water into wine. You see that in John chapter two. So so this is the purpose of John. Now, if, if you're Thinking, well, maybe you're just reading into it, Ben. Well, John, just in case you think that that is not his purpose, of all the four Gospels, John makes his purpose of writing this account clear. Look at John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in in this book. But these are written. Why is this account written? So that you might believe. That Jesus is what? The Christ, the Messiah. And believe what also? The Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the point of the Gospel of John. That you would see that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is God eternal. He is the eternal word. He is the eternal God. The word believe in John is written over 100 times. Over 100 times in the Gospel of John, you hear the word believe, belief, or believe. And John is saying very clearly, I have written this account that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the purpose. Believing life in his name. Believing life in his name. There have been lots of powerful names throughout human history, but none compare to the name of Jesus. And in this introductory message, we want to answer the question that John answers. We want to ask the question that John answers in his book. And the question is this, who is Jesus? I want that lens to be with which we look through this entire book. Who is Jesus? What does the Bible say about his character, about his nature? More specifically, what does the gospel of John say? Let's look at the first text. And and, and you're going to see as I read this, I'm biting off a lot. And we're going to cover 13 verses. I I could have done four messages in these 13 verses. So I'm not going to do four messages in one. So you can take a deep breath. But we will be past 11 o'clock. I can promise you that. So just 
buckle in, be prepared. We have 13 verses here. John 1, here's God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does God's word say? Four thoughts. So actually three realities and one implication we're going to look at here this morning of answering the question, who is Jesus? And, and the first one is so clear. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is God eternal. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the eternal God. And I just want to say this morning that there are many different perspectives concerning who Jesus is. If you're here today, chances are you're here today because you believe Jesus is God. But, but if you, if you go into the world and you begin to talk to people who aren't in church, who aren't churched, or, or maybe they don't think a lot about Jesus, they have many different perspectives concerning who Jesus is. And here is something I want you to understand as we begin to look at this, that believing correctly about Jesus is at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. That if you don't believe correctly about Jesus, you are not a Christian. Jesus has made it very clear who he is. And so to believe differently from what Jesus has revealed himself to be puts you outside of the category of a Christian. So believing correctly about him is at the very center of what it means to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian. What is a Christian? It's a fight. It, it, a Christian is a Christ follower, a disciple that follows Christ. You know, there are many people today, even those who profess to be Christians, that have, less, have a less than biblical view concerning the nature of Jesus. There are many people today who would profess to be Christians, but they have a view that doesn't hold up to what Scripture says about Christ. They believe what would be a cultural view of Christ. And so I would say that in our pluralistic society, meaning a society that's all about many different ways and ideas and, 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 and truths. You know, you know, in the era of fake news, this term fake news that, that, that has developed since uh, the last four or five years, though I do believe there, are, there is fake news, you know what it has created in our society today is that nobody believes there's truth. So when you hear things, oh, that's just fake news, especially if you don't like it. Oh, that, that, that's just fake news. You could be talking to your spouse. Oh, that, that, that's just fake news. <laughs> I don't believe you anymore. Right, right? And so this is, that is a microcosm of, this idea of fake news is a microcosm of a pluralistic society that, that I have my truth, you have your truth. There is no truth. If it's true to you, then, then it is the greatest truth. And so you take that lens and you put it to the life of Christ and there are many views 
about Christ that are not biblical. What are some of them? What are some popular views concerning Christ? Here's, what, I think, one of the most famous ones. Jesus was a good teacher who showed us a better way to live life. Isn't that the most common view? If you talk to somebody about who Jesus is and they're not a, a believer, presidents of the United States will say this. Oh, he was just such a good teacher. And, it's, and it really is true. They are right when they say that Jesus was a good teacher because that's what, that's what others said about him. That when he spoke, he spoke like he didn't. There's no other man that ever spoke like Christ. So he was a good teacher that showed us how to live a better life. But, but what will happen is, is that people will not embrace Jesus as God because that has great implications on their life, but they'll, they'll quote Jesus. What are some things they will quote about Jesus? They'll say, they'll say, you know, Jesus said to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a great principle, is it not? I mean, I want you to treat me the way I would want to be treated. And that is a good principle in life. But you don't have to be a Christian to live that out. What about this? Jesus talked about leaving the 99 to go after the one. That is a great principle in life to care for those that are the outcasts, to go after those that are marginalized. But you don't have to be a Christian to live that type of life. Forgiving people, loving people. These are things that Jesus talked about that are good things in our life that we would say, yeah, I want to be a forgiving person, a loving person, and I want to care for the marginalized and the weak and the outcast. And I want to do unto others as I would want them to do unto me. And, and Jesus was a good teacher. And if we would just live like Jesus, the world would be a better place. Is that all that Jesus was? That if we just all are moralistic, then we'll have a better world to live in. And Jesus was the, the greatest moral man that ever lived. So just follow his example and we'll all be okay. Is that Christianity? No. But that's one of the most popular views. What about this view? Jesus is one of many paths to follow to get to God. Again, pluralism. You know, this is the idea. He's just one of many paths. I was listening to the radio the other day. um, And they had a lady that was on there. And they were talking about a controversial subject. And the lady was disagreeing with other people all around the subject. And the lady told the host of the show, she said, you know what, what it comes down to, what life come down, what, what life comes down to, life come down, comes down to this. You do you and I'll do me. Right? That's our country. That's, that's, that's the West. That's the Western world. That, 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 that's America in a nutshell. You do you, don't bother me and I'll do me and I won't bother you. I'll live my life my way. But you know, the, 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 the challenge is that Jesus comes in and he disturbs all of that. He comes in and disturbs everyone and says, yeah, you do you, but I'm telling you that you're doing you wrong. Right? What about this? I just want to say this. These are three major religions that are out there. I want you to know what they say about Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed and is a lesser, though mighty, God. They believe that when Jesus was born on earth, he was a mere human and not God. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses teach. That is a false view of Christ. Mormonism teaches that Jesus is a procreated being, the literal offspring of God the Father and one of his heavenly wives. According to Mormon theology, God the Father 
dwells on a planet with his many spirit wives producing numerous spirit children who await to inhabit physical bodies so that they too may one day ascend to godhood as their parents did. Jesus is believed to be the firstborn spirit child of God. Mormonism teaches that anyone can attain to godhood. And Jesus was just one of them that attained to godhood. Islam. Islam denies the deity of Christ and repudiates the title the son of God as blasphemous. They say it's blasphemy to declare that Jesus was the son of God. It also denies he died on the cross, claiming that Jesus' visage was imposed on someone else who was then crucified and that Jesus was taken up into heaven without tasting death. Islam explicitly denies a possibility of substitutionary atonement. So Islam teaches this core of Christianity, which is that Jesus became our substitute and therefore atoned for our sins. They say that's not possible. Those are, those are false views of Christ. And there will always be false views concerning the nature of Jesus. But scripture makes it abundantly clear. And this is what we see at the very beginning of the text we look at in John 1. Unmistakable language. Look back at the text. What does John say about Jesus? He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word... Mormons take the word was out and put a. Did you know that? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. They take it out. But the text says, the original language says, was God. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning. And, and who was the word? Well, we're going to look at this next week. But John 1.14 says, and the word, who is this word? Became flesh. And who became flesh and dwelt among us? Emmanuel, God with us. It was Christ. In the beginning was Christ. It was the word. And the word Christ was with God, but he was God. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Isn't that such a, an amazing statement that Jesus was in the beginning before time began and he was with God, but he was God. What does that mean? With God and was God. That's some very uh, difficult language to understand. But here's the picture that we see here in John 1, 1. We see a picture of the Trinitarian nature of God. That God is both, he is, he is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Spirit. He is one God, but three distinct persons. That's why John can say that Jesus was, in the beginning, he was with God, but he was God. Does that hurt your brain like it hurts mine? How can you be with God and be God? You're God. That's how you can be with God and be God. You are God. This is a Trinitarian nature of God, and many people will doubt the Trinity, but Trinity is all over Scripture, even in creation. Even in Genesis, you see the Trinity. Look at Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the earth. What does John 1, 1 say? That Jesus, who became flesh, was in the beginning, right? So Genesis 1, 1 and John 1 say that Jesus and God were in the beginning. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, where was the Holy Spirit? Was hovering over the face of the waters. God the Father at creation. God the Son, John 1, 1, at creation. And the Spirit in Genesis 1, 2, hovering over the face of the, of the deep. Our God is eternal. Our God is Trinitarian. Our God is holy. Our God is creator in Jesus is God and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. The name of Jesus is no ordinary name. Scripture makes it abundantly clear 
in these first few verses in John 1 that we're not just talking about a good teacher. The name of Jesus is no ordinary name. Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet declaring the truth of God, though he came as a prophet to his people. And his people did not receive him, but he came as a prophet to declare the truth of God. Jesus is not just one of many paths that lead to the Father. He is the only way. What did Jesus say in John 14? He said, I am, another one of the, one of the seven I am statements. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by, by me. He's not just one of many paths. He doesn't give that option. You may not believe it, but if you're going to believe Jesus correctly as scripture reveals it, this is who he said that he is. This is what God's word says about Christ. You may not believe it, but don't say anything else about him that the word of God does not say. He's not just one of many ways. He declared to be the way. The name of Jesus is no ordinary name. Jesus is not a created being. I was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael. Jesus is the one who created the archangel Michael. Jesus is not the spirit child of God. And as a result, the spirit brother of Satan. As the Mormons say. Jesus is not a name to be ignored. His name is not a name to be used as a swear word. His name is not a name to use without reverence and honor. Why? Why? Because the name of Jesus is no ordinary name. It's no ordinary name. That's what God's word says. Philippians 2. Listen. Speaking of Christ and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Islam. They get it wrong here. Right? He came. He died. A death on a cross. Therefore, listen, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him what? The name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not a good teacher. Not just a prophet or a teacher. But that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does the scripture show us? Shows us that Jesus firstly is the eternal God. He is the eternal God who existed before time began. Who is Jesus? Secondly, let's look back at John 1. It says this in John 1 verse 2 and 3. It says he is the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. Listen, verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the eternal God, but he is the creator. Wow. You remember we read a second ago, Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is the agent of creation according to John 1, 2, and 3? It was Jesus. Jesus, through Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is boldly declared here to be the creator of all things. This makes him God. If you're the creator, you are, you're God. You're nothing less than God. Only God can be the creator of all things. And that makes Jesus, what do we see in the life of Jesus? When you read the gospels, if he is the creator of all things, what do you think you would see when you study the life of Christ? 
you would see that he is the Lord over all of creation. You would see he had power. What did he do when he was in the boat? We're going to look at that later in the Gospel of John. He said, peace be still. He had power over Mother Nature. What did he do when he saw the sick? He healed them because he had power over creation. Because he is the Lord of creation. He created all things. Nothing that was made was made without him, according to John 1, 3. He's the Lord of creation. He calmed the winds. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Jesus is sovereign over his creation. You know, what's interesting is that the rejection of God as creator and the rejection of Jesus as Lord are connected. Because you have some people that say, well, I can believe that Jesus is God, but I don't believe that all this happened through creation. I'm going to try to connect uh, 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 um, Christianity and evolution and, 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 and a big bang. No, you can't. They go together. Rejection of God as creator is a rejection of Christ as Lord. Why? Because Christ was the one who created. And you know what happens is that when we reject God as creator, what we're really doing is we're saying is that we don't want to be accountable to Jesus as Lord. And because Jesus is Lord of creation, what we're saying is ultimately when men reject God, they are ultimately, it's down the line, a rejection of the one who created them, which is Jesus Christ. Unbelievers know, listen, unbelievers know that to be rid of creation is to be rid of a creator. And to be rid of God leaves men free to live in whatever way they want with no judgment. If I rid myself of a creator, then I rid myself of accountability. And Christ stands as accountability in all of his creation and says, I am the way. I am the truth. You are accountable to me. I mean, it's it's, it's Romans 1. This is Romans 1, this picture, this idea. Romans 1 says, because they exchanged the truth about God, what was the truth that people see about God? You see that our world is clearly a result of creation, not a cosmic accident. It's obvious. You would have to be a fool to see the complexities of the world and the human body and to think that that is the result of random molecular changes over billions of years. That does not happen. Chaos cannot come into order. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And what what does humanity do? We don't want a truth about God because it leads to accountability. We want to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we want to worship ourselves. We want to worship the creation that was created by Christ. We want to worship ourselves. Sinful man will always desire to live under the default position of moral accountability to no one except themselves. It's so powerful. Listen, the agent of creation, which is Christ, the creator of all, the eternal God who became flesh, said this in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came, creator God, into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of God is at hand. What does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Creation to the gospel. They come together in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And nothing that was made was made without him. You see creation. You see Jesus as eternal God. And you see eternal God becoming flesh, walking the earth and looking at man and saying, repent and believe. You see the connection? Creator and salvation 
creation and the gospel, the beauty of our scriptures. They come together to reveal who Christ is and what the gospel is. This is why men fight hard against the creation. They fight hard against this reality because the world rejects God as creator. And the embracing of God as creator must lead to faith and repentance and the realization that we are accountable before our creator. I want to say this before we transition on. It's important that we understand that Jesus was not just a creator, but he is a sustainer of all things. He was not just an impersonal force that set the universe into motion and stepped back to watch it burn because of global warming. You're supposed to to laugh, I'm sorry. He's not just an impersonal force. He is God became man. They came and lived amongst his creation to take their place, to die on the cross, to become salvation for all who would believe. And he is with us and he sustains us and he is the sustainer of all things. What did, what did Jacques read earlier during the scripture reading time? Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. By who? By Christ. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him. And he is before all things. Listen. And in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of his church. In him. All things hold together. He is the creator, but he is the sustainer of all things. In him, all things hold together. You know what I thought about when I was reading that this week, studying it and getting ready? This is what I thought in the middle of whatever we are walking through in a world today, we can rest with the confidence that Jesus holds all things together. Isn't that good news? Boy, sure. Yeah, come on. The world today, the news cycle, all the issues going on does not engender an idea of, of, of hope and peace and, 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 and rest. It does the complete opposite of that. But when we see Christ, we see the reality that he's not just a person that we see in a book that's just like any other book. He is the creator of the universe. He is the savior of the world. And he is the sustainer of his creation. And so we can rest in the middle of the chaos of this world. And we can know that he holds all things together. Have you ever tried to carry a big load of dry clothes from your dryer without a basket? No, no, no. I'm not talking about something that you can kind of get all up in your hands and you can walk and bring it to the couch so your wife can fold it. That's not what we do. So the kids can fold it. I'm talking about a big pile of clothes. You've all done it. I've done it. I can picture myself. And what do we do when we get the big pile of clothes? We gather it all up together and we think we can get it. We don't need the basket. The basket's over there. I don't need the basket. I don't need to have it all held together in the basket. I'm going to grab it. And what happens when you're walking? The sock falls. The underwear falls. Right? It all starts to fall out. But that to me, when I thought of this, this is what we do as humans. We're trying to hold it all together. 
We're trying to keep all the things together and it just keeps falling. It just keeps falling. It just keeps falling. And we're picking it up. We're trying to pick up the pieces of our life, trying to do it without Christ. What does scripture tell us about Christ? He's the basket, right? Put your life in Christ. Let him hold it all together. Let him hold it all together. We're good at trying to hold it all together. But the creator and sustainer of the universe can do much better than us. Take all that and throw it over into his hands. Who is Jesus? What does our text say? He's the eternal God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And next, look back at the text in John 1 verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Thirdly, this morning, God's word says that Jesus is the light that cannot be overcome. He is God eternal. He's God eternal. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And he is the light that cannot be overcome. Biblically, the word light is meant to describe truth and goodness and revelation, hope, the right path. You see all that throughout scripture. That light is used to describe all, all, all of those things. Truth and goodness, revelation, hope, the right path. Jesus represents all of these in perfection. He is the light, the perfect light that the darkness cannot overcome. John 1, first, excuse me, first John 1. John wrote in his three little epistles, it says, first John 1, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is what? And in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus is the light that cannot be overcome. He's the light that has broken through the darkness of sin in the world. You know, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this light. Look at Isaiah 9.2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Who's the light of the world? It's Christ. Who was Isaiah prophesying about? It's Christ. He's the light of the world. Jesus said that of himself. Look at John 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, here's another one of the I am statements. He says, I am, meaning he's eternal. I am the eternal light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. I love the parallel there in Isaiah 9. It talks about deep darkness and men walking in deep darkness, but then the light coming. If you look around the world today, it feels like a time of deep darkness. Daily, we are bombarded with the effects of sin, the brokenness that comes from creation itself, but all the impact of sinful choices in the lives of people. And I could begin to list all the different impacts in our lives, even as Christians of the impact of sin. Broken marriages. You see it all around our world today. In our communities, in our families. The vulnerable taking adva- taken advantage of. Anger and murder. You, 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 you watch, you hear just horror stories. The other day I was watching, I think it was in New York City. There's a woman sitting 
by herself on a bench waiting for a bus. And a man comes behind her with a shoestring, unprovoked, puts it around her neck and begins to strangle her. Just unprovoked. Didn't know the lady. And thankfully, someone came and broke that up and saved the lady's life. Or he was going to kill her. Anger and murder. You see sexual immorality everywhere. In the world, but in the church, everywhere. People living with no regard for what is sacred and holy. Depression and anxiety. Maybe some of you here today, you are struggling with depression and anxiety. We see fear of the future. Oh, that is such a big issue in our world today. Fear of the future. People have no hope for the future. You see the impact of what we've walked through in this pandemic. You see the impact on our kids. Kids being left out of school, left out, left out of interaction with leaders and, 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 and those that God has called to, to, to lead them and guide them and teach them and nurture them. Th- those personal I- 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 interactions with family and friends and sports and all those things that we're called to, to be a part of as kids as we develop. You see the impact in young adults going to college and teenagers. You see the suicide rate going up in young people. Because of the impact of all of this. And there's a fear for the future. And you see the endless pandemic. As a result of that financial uncertainty. How much are we going to pay for gas next week? I paid $5 for a gallon of milk the other day. When's it going to stop, right? Then you see the politicians fighting about it. No one with any real great solutions that has any lasting impact. Because it's all temporary solutions. To earthly problems, not eternal solutions to earthly problems. Deep darkness. But look back at the text. Here's what I tell you. The deeper the darkness, the greater the light. The deeper the darkness, the greater the light. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Anger and murder, sexual immorality... Depression, anxiety, fear of the future in this pandemic, financial uncertainty, political turmoil cannot quench the light of Christ. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Do not let anyone or anything steal your hope. Steal the light of Christ in your heart. I love what the Bible exposition commentary says. Just as the first creation began with let there be light, so the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of the believer. Satan strives to keep people in darkness because darkness means death and hell, while light means life and heaven. Jesus is the light of the world. Who is Jesus? He's God eternal. Nothing less. Who is Jesus? He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Who is Jesus? He is the light that nothing in this world can ever overcome. And if he is in your heart, there is nothing that can overcome you because Christ is living on the inside of you through the power of his spirit. So as we conclude today, our text ends with a powerful reality for all those who believe in that name. No ordinary name. Have you believed in the name that is not ordinary? No other name? No ordinary name? There's a powerful implication for all those who receive the great light of the world. Here's the implication. Number four, adoption belongs to all who believe in his name. 
Adoption belongs to all who believe in his name. Look back at the text. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do you become a child of God? You know, there's an idea around in our world today that we're all children of God. Mm -hmm. The only way that you have a right to become the child of God is what? What does the Bible say? Backtrack a little bit with me. Say it with me. How do you become a child of God? Believe in Jesus. All who believe in his name have been given the right to be called a child of God. We're all made in the image of God. We're all intrinsically valuable and worthy of protection and honor and respect. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. But only those who have belief in the name that is above every other name, as the Son of God, the eternal God, are given the right to have his name imputed to you to become a child of God. So what are we before we believe in Christ? What are we before we believe in Christ? We're orphans. Yeah, we're children of wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 says, just like the rest of mankind. But before, we're we're orphans. We're orphans. We're outside of the family of God. We have no rights. Notice it said there in the text in John 1, have been given the right to become children of God. Orphans have no rights. Orphans have no family. Orphans have no name. They are left out of a family. They are abandoned. They have no rights. And that's what we are. We have no family inheritance. We're not heirs of of anyone. But what does Romans 8 say about us who place our faith in the name that is above every name? Romans 8 says that we've been given the spirit of adoption. It says we become children of God. It says that we become heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And we become brothers with Christ where we are fellow heirs with Christ of an eternal inheritance. The spirit of adoption. I, I will never forget this day. I want to put up a, a picture for you to see. This is a picture. This is a picture of an adoption day. And my little girl right there, that's Reagan. She's sleeping on the front row. This is what she called for a few years her adoption day. And in my back pocket, sitting back there in my back pocket, are the papers that declared that she had rights to be called a buffkin. There were the papers that declared that she had rights to be called a buffkin. She became my heir. Don't know what quite that means <laughs> for her. Pray for us. But she became my heir. She'll get whatever I got. Why? Look back at the text real quick. John 1, if you can, just go back to John 1. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born, not of blood, which means physical birth, not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of. What did Reagan do to earn my name? Nothing. Why? Did she earn it? Did she have to work for it? Did she beg us for it? No, she didn't beg us for it. Why? 
Because we said yes. We chose her. When did we choose her? We chose her on a drive from uh, a, after an interest meeting for foster care. We chose her when we said yes. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to allow God to send us a child. That is the power of adoption that we have in Christ. Not of the will of the flesh, not in the will of man, but of God. But of God. And this is what God has done for us. Some of you think, well, I like the Rockefeller name. I like the Walton name. I want to be an heir of the Rockefellers. Who would like that? The Waltons, you know, they're still alive. Billions and billions of dollars. The Waltons, yeah, I, I saw on a website where I, I, I looked at these names. The, 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 the Waltons were $246 billion. And in the list of these names, they had an arrow going up or, an, or, or a flat line or an arrow going down. The arrow was going up for the Waltons. That means they're getting more and more wealth. I think we would all like to be a, an heir of the Waltons. What about the Cathy's? You want to be an heir of the Cathy's? I love chicken from Chick-fil-A. The DuPonts. Who would want to be an heir of those families? We all would. But you know the reasons why we want to be heir to all those families? For temporal, immediate, earthly things. But what does God's word say for us? First Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were an orphan, once you had no name, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. No ordinary name. It's through the no ordinary name. It's through the name of Christ. Jesus is the eternal God. The God who created and sustains all things. Jesus is the light of the world who destroys the works of darkness. And all who believe in that name can receive the rights and privileges of a son and daughter of the king of the universe. I don't want the Rockefellers or the Waltons, or the Cathleys, or the DuPonts, or the Bezoses. I'll take Christ. I'll take Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer?